Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Coming up, China and the Solomon Islands elevate strategic ties. NATO leaders are convening in Lithuania for summit as divisions linger. The Myanmar crisis is topping the agenda at a two-day ASEAN foreign ministers meeting. And China has issued a notice to strengthen management of self media. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, download our podcast by searching World Today. China and the Solomon Islands have announced the launch of a comprehensive strategic partnership. Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasa Salgovir is paying a visit to China. Meeting Salgovir on Monday, Chinese President Xi Jinping described the two countries as trustworthy friends and reliable brothers, pledging to support more Chinese companies investing in the country. In the meantime, President Xi Jinping also voiced the support for a grand blueprint. That has been agreed among Pacific Island nations in terms of advancing the region's strategic goals over the next three decades. The two countries also reached agreements in terms of civil aviation, trade, economic affairs, technology, and sports. So, joining us now on the line is Dr. He Wenping, senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.、Uh, thank you for having me. So、uh, we understand the Solomon Islands、um, switched its diplomatic ties from Taipei to Beijing when Mr. Sogovair came into office in in 2019. Now,、um, President Xi Jinping says that the bilateral relations、um, has、uh, have set a very good example of solidarity and cooperation between countries of different sizes and also between developing nations. And in the meantime, Chinese Premier Li Qiang, when he was meeting with、um, Sogovia in Beijing, also said that it is just in just four years the relationship between the two sides has developed rapidly, and we can now say that it is very, very fruitful. So, from these comments、uh, from top Chinese leaders,、um, Professor He, what can you read in terms of? How Beijing views its relationship with this Pacific Island country? Yes,、yeah. uh, from all those comments、uh, from our Chinese president and also premier,、uh, we can see that China feel very satisfied、uh, with this rapid development, this relationship between Solomon Islands and China.、Uh, we all know、uh, this bilateral relationship just established four years ago,、uh, since 2019, and ever since that. And the Solomon Islands also enjoyed a lot of like、uh, cooperation and help from China、uh, uh, as well.、Uh, for example, like we have been sending、uh, medical team、uh, to Solomon Islands to help、uh, the local people、uh, to for those medical treatment. We are also now helping Solomon Islands government to build、uh, those uh, big uh, this uh, stadium uh, for their uh, coming uh, this uh, called.、Uh, Pacific, uh, this uh, sports event,、yeah. and also a lot of infrastructure、uh, construction also going on. So many, many more are、uh, just、uh, within such a short time. So all this、uh, mutual political trust and economic cooperation and even、uh, health and、uh, education. So in all one around、uh, the way, and the Solomon also just one month after bilateral、uh, diplomatic relations being built and established, they quickly joined the One Belt One Road. Uh, this uh, initiative signed、uh, yeah. this MOU, so becoming the partner country of BI. Hmm. So,、um, Prime Minister Sogovia has、um, personally, you know, thanked China for its role in terms of、uh, in terms of addressing global challenges, including peace and sustainable development issues. Adding that his country. Has a lot to learn from China's experience. So, in your understanding, what kind of Chinese experience do you think he is、um, actually referring to?、Uh, to my understanding, I think、uh, he has been referring to、uh, two major areas.、Uh, one is Chinese Communist Party, like、uh, this、uh, governance idea, 
like Chinese leadership, uh, their governing idea, because he visited also during his uh, short stay, like uh, in Beijing, he also get a time out, uh, you know, to visit the Chinese Communist Party uh, that uh, exhibition hall, actually not far from my institute. So mm. he has been, uh, with, uh, you know, with, uh, had a view, reviewing all those history, like the Chinese Communist Party, you know, led the people to fight for independence, and also for chasing away Japanese. So all those, you know, uh, hardship journey. And so he uh, was saying, he told the reporter, correspondent saying he was very much impressed uh, by Chinese Communist Party, you know, just celebrating 102 uh, years birthday. And he, he was saying that uh, this governing idea uh, from uh, Chinese Communist Party and all Chinese leaders, you know, different uh, generations of leadership, uh, that's a lot. To, uh, to, you know, to draw those experience uh, from uh, CPC. Another, I think, is economic development. Mm. Because this is combined uh, with uh, CPC's leadership and then has uh, made such a, a tremendous uh, achievement like anti-poverty, how make China transformed from, uh, you know, relatively speaking, left behind the country, now becoming second biggest economy in the world. So that's uh, very impressive. So for uh, Solomon Prime Minister, I think uh, his, uh, you know, this impression meaning coming from those two kinds of ways. Mm. So among uh, those um, a number of deals that uh, the two sides or the two countries have signed this time, uh, a particular deal regarding police cooperation has drawn the most attention from uh, Western media outlets. Uh, some people see this deal as the two sides deepening their security ties following the signing of a security pact last year. And by the way, regarding this deal, a spokesperson for the U.S. National Security Council said that um, it's very interesting wording. Washington encourages the sides, the two sides, um, China and the Solomon Islands, to release these texts immediately to increase transparency and inform discussions about the impacts of these agreements on regional security. Um, Dr. He, what is your thought on this? Uh, yes, when I hear this kind of uh, uh, sentence uh, said by the spokesperson for the U.S. National Security Council, I, I even cannot uh, host my lobby. Uh You know, it's very interesting. Uh, they, they think too much, by the way. <laughs> uh, they, in their mind, they think too much about oh, China and the Solomon Islands, uh, what kind of secret deal, uh, you know, among, uh, uh, behind that, uh, this uh, uh, police uh, cooperation. Actually, uh, really, they think too much. To my understanding, because uh, uh, like uh, at the end of uh, 2021, uh, we're all shocked by a news coming out from Solomon Islands. That is a lot of the chaos happening. Mm. Uh, even Chinese business people, their shops on the street, and then even being burned, uh, you know, being a uh, robbery, robbers, uh, and then all the chaos happening there. By that time, you know, we cannot, like, uh, send the Chinese, uh, the, the police, uh, to help uh, cooperate with the Solomon government to, you know, restore the, you know, the order there to protect the Chinese, those business persons, you know, from those uh, uh, gangsters, whatever. So now, suffering from that bad experience, a bad situation, so now that is why Chinese government now and the Solomon, uh, Solomon Island, we reached this deal, saying we have to do uh, this uh, police cooperation. Suppose, because even though that chaos now is, is over, but we cannot guarantee in the future there is no such similar thing happening. Because uh, we know in the Solomon, uh, you know, the island, uh, there's uh, some provinces Oh, there is a very strong so-called pro-Taiwan uh, forces. Mm. By that time, uh, at the end of 2021, those Taiwanese uh, business persons, those shops, has, none of them had been destroyed. None of them. Mm. So you can see clearly uh, those gangsters behind them. So what kind of forces behind them? Uh, you, you know, both uh, those uh, shops around the street and then only the Chinese mainland, Chinese mainland uh, those shops have been uh, ruined, uh, and then ruined and destroyed. And then just a few yards away, that the Taiwanese, uh, those uh, shops, are uh, remain in good shape. So you, you, you cannot hold the thinking, huh? So what is the reason behind? So yeah. that is why, yeah, we definitely need, 
uh, to have this police uh, cooperation between uh, Chinese government and the Solomon Island government. Mm, and of course, you know, peace and stability, uh, a scenario where, you know, local people can be free from chaotic situation, riots, is really the very, the most important, the, the single most important precondition for economic development, that's for sure. Now, it's interesting to note that a joint statement says that China and the Solomon Islands urge relevant countries to prudently handle issues like the discharge of nuclear-contaminated water into the ocean, as well as cooperation on nuclear submarines. Apparently, I mean, these wording are pointing to Japan and AUKUS, you know, everybody knows about this. So why do you think the Solomon Islands share the same stance with China on these two issues? Oh, I think uh, this is a very obviously because the uh, Solomon Islands located in the South Pacific. Uh, they have been uh, close contact with all the Pacific those water. So if uh, like uh, uh, those Fukuyama, the Japanese, uh, those uh, uh, polluted, uh, those nuclear polluted, con- uh, those uh, contaminated water, uh, if uh, entering into the sea, you know, I think uh, those island country, South Pacific island country, including Solomon Island, they will be influenced directly and also in an early time. Uh, this is, of course, uh, directly influence people's life, their daily life. Uh, in Solomon Island. That is why they are against this very much. This is for, for life, daily life, uh, for those water, uh, those uh, purified those water, nothing uh, is uh, influenced by those nuclear contaminated water. And for the orcas, uh, we all know this orcas, what they are going to do. Uh, they even bring this uh, nuclear submarine, seen from the U.S., and now we are equipped with uh, Australia, and then now they make this uh, South Pacific area uh, Solomon Island, the small island country, they no longer feel safe, no longer feel security. Uh, if big power competition, like, uh, uh, eventually come out with, uh, like a conflict, uh, military conflict, and even eventually burst into a big war, wow, who will suffer? Uh, not those countries like the United States are far, far away from this place. Uh, similarly, when we see the Ukraine, uh, this uh, crisis there, and the U.S. not suffering. Uh, mm-hmm. Even refugees from Ukraine, they will not take that many. Uh, European countries, nearby countries, they suffered more, uh, that's for sure. So if things happening like uh, around Australia and the South Pacific uh, area, uh, actually this area is very peaceful, very mm-hmm. safe. But now some countries thinking, uh, they in their mind thinking, oh, if something happened in Taiwan, that means we are also happen to us. Uh, this is their own thinking. So in, uh, from the perspective of Solomon Island, they made very clear, our uh, prime minister said, so they don't want to do any, like a two sides mm. among the big powers. This is not beneficial to, to their interests at all. Mm. So this all could, uh, you know, bring those military things, uh, those uh, uh, yeah. confederations into the area. Of course, that's uh, against the interests of Solomon Island. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you, as always. That was Dr. He Wenping, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. You are listening to World Today. Stay with us. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of the world today. In my opinion, the world today is one of the best China radio programs. In the world today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. NATO leaders are convening in Lithuania for their annual summit as internal divisions over critical issues actually remain among members of the military alliance. One of the most difficult questions is whether the military alliance should admit Ukraine as one of its members. U.S. President Joe Biden told the U.S. media over the past weekend that he didn't think that Ukraine was ready for NATO membership. Another issue is that the military spending by member states lags far behind long-standing goals. 
The organization also remains unable to reach a compromise over who is likely to serve as its next leader, possibly forcing an extension of the current Secretary General's term for one more year. So, for more, my colleague Liu Kun earlier had a talk with Dr. Cui Hongjian, head of the European Studies Department with the China Institute of International Studies. Thank you, Dr. Cui, for talking to me. Why is it that global political watchers are stressing the significance of this NATO summit? Firstly,、uh, we need to understand the background of this uh, uh, NATO summit. Undoubtedly.、Uh, The、uh, Ukrainian crisis and the relations between Ukraine and NATO, and also the NATO and Russia, would be on the top of the、uh, agenda for this、uh, summit. As we know,、uh, no matter what happened、uh, for the last days, the、uh, conflict between Russia and Ukraine, it looks like the、uh, Ukraine、uh, will be part of the NATO、uh, in future, become more and more clear. I think that would be、uh, give a very very、uh, big question for some, not only for some、uh, member states of、uh, NATO and also for the whole European security architecture. And then, how about the、uh, influence on the、uh, global security and so on? Another, I think, the、uh, reason why the NATO summit、uh, becomes so important is, as we know,、uh, this summit will discuss some uh, uh, critical issues for. NATO itself,、uh, for example, how about the relations、uh, from now on between Russia and NATO? As we know, once there will be some、uh, more uncertainties or more risks、uh, in the relations between Russia and NATO, undoubtedly,、uh, it will have some、uh, spillover effect on some other regions and even、uh, on the global security level. I think, of course, the third、uh, reason is. Uh, since the uh, NATO, uh, since the latest, uh, uh, since the last uh, uh, NATO summit,、mm-hmm. the issue that China would be uh, in the uh, uh, concern of the NATO, and also this time,、uh, NATO invited once again some other Asian Pacific countries、uh, to participate in the summit. It gives a very strong signal. To other regions, especially Asia and Pacific, that NATO will try to introduce itself into other regions. I think it will give some、uh, more and more concern, especially for from those、uh, regions.、Uh, what will happen once once NATO will have its so-called globalization process?、Mm-hmm. Then,、uh, among these issues that you just talked about,、uh, which one are you particularly watching during the summit? Many we can find out is、uh, three、uh, major issues for、mm. this、uh, NATO summit. Firstly, just like we mentioned, that、uh, how will NATO define、uh, its relations with uh, uh, Ukraine?、Mm. So far, we can find so many debates within the NATO,、mm. and also、uh, still some uh, unclear, I mean,、uh, future for、uh, this relationship. Another, I think, concern or another major. Uh, issue for this、uh, summit is the relations between、uh, between NATO and Russia.、Mm. Uh, as we heard, that、uh, NATO will try to have have its uh, uh, so-called long-term uh, projects or some uh, agenda uh, for its relations with Russia. As we know now, this time because、um, Finland and also Sweden in near future will become a member of the uh, NATO, we、mm. will give us、uh, some new factors. For these relations,、mm-hmm. the third is how about the、uh, NATO will try to、uh, find out its、uh, position in this so-called global security mm-hmm.、Uh, uh, architecture. Right for for the、uh, for Ukraine's NATO membership,、uh, in an interview over the weekend,、uh, Joe Biden told U.S. media that Ukraine is not ready to join NATO,、uh, adding that there would be quote unquote. Other qualifications that need to be met, including democratization. I mean, what what do you think、uh, he meant? What it, what was he referring to? The issue of the uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian democratization uh, from the American concern, I think, is just a, a kind of、um, uh, uh, I mean, a course from、mm-hmm. the United States to try to、uh, refuse 
the uh, proposals from some member states of NATO mm. to uh, uh, get in get uh, Ukraine into the uh, NATO. As we know, according to the uh, general process of um, uh, NATO <coughs> membership, certainly there is some uh, political change or some uh, economical reform would be necessary for any kind of a candidate to be uh, the, the, to be the member states of NATO. But so far, of course, as we know, for some member states of NATO, they just stressed the importance uh, from a security dimension that uh, once Ukraine become member of the uh, NATO, it would be helpful for NATO and their own uh, security interests. So I think that is, at this moment, from the purpose of the United States, certainly, uh, once the uh, Ukraine to be part of the um, NATO, it will give a very, very big risk for uh, United States mm. to have some more confrontation, even some direct confrontation with Russia. So I don't think it's in the waning of the uh, United States. So it's tried to find the cause of so-called uh, democratization of Ukraine. Mm. Then, Dr. Tsui, will Ukraine ever get to be included in NATO? Why or why not? Now, if we look at the uh, reality, mm. uh, especially in the European security, uh, certainly there are some uh, countries countries try to uh, have Ukraine in the uh, NATO, especially as we know from the Baltic states, from mm-hmm. uh, Central and Eastern European countries. From their own uh, uh, interests, certainly once the uh, Ukraine is in the is in the NATO, there will be maybe a safer environment for those countries. But of course, as we know, even from the Ukrainian administration, now it also takes uh, membership of uh, NATO as a, a major goal for the uh, for, for the government. Mm. But as we know, if we look some uh, look at the uh, situation from outside, especially from other side, uh, we can find out once the uh, Ukraine is in the NATO, uh, it will give some more uncertainties or more risks for this uh, long time and uh, direct uh, confrontation between Russia and NATO. So it will be, so, uh, so perhaps it will be more, uh, it will be safer for some countries in near future, mm-hmm. but certainly it will be more risky for this uh, long-term and as we know, sustainable European security architecture. Mm. Dr. Sui, there were also reports uh, earlier saying that NATO wants to establish an office in Tokyo in Japan. Uh, but French President Emmanuel Macron had said he was against the idea. So how do you think NATO coming to Asia will influence security in the region? NATO come to Asia or uh, some Asia countries try to introduce <clears throat> the NATO's experience or mechanism would be a bad, uh, would be a bad idea. Mm. As we know, uh, firstly, there are very, very different situations <clears throat> from a security dimension uh, between Asia and uh, Europe. You will also you know, yes, there will be some uh, negativity on security areas between two regions. But uh, certainly, as we know so far, there is not a kind of uh, connective uh, security culture mm. in most of uh, uh, Asia countries. <clears throat> and uh, secondly, to introduce uh, NATO into Asia, mostly is from the purpose or from a strategic goal of the United States. Mm. As we know, the United States is trying, to, is trying to take Asia as a major fi- uh, focus of, mm. its, uh, strategic, of its uh, strategy, especially mm. in the name of a long-time uh, competition with China. Mm. But I don't think it, it would be in the interest of other uh, member states of uh, NATO. So I think the uh, once NATO uh, will try to be an image, just like it uh, declared before, it will be a successful security and military group. I think NATO should uh, have its uh, focus on current uh, Ukraine crisis and uh, how to establish as you know, sustainable European security architecture. Mm. So far, I think that for most of the Asian and Pacific countries, NATO itself is a, a case of, a, a, you know, failure mm. of this collective uh, security. So mm. I don't think it's, uh, uh, I mean, convincible.
people, most of them. I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hen in Beijing. The Myanmar issue is topping the agenda at a two-day ASEAN Foreign Ministers meeting held in Indonesia. Indonesian's Foreign Minister Ratno Mosadi says Jakarta has initiated some 110 meetings with groups in Myanmar to build trust since assuming ASEAN's rotating chairmanship earlier this year. Myanmar remains a member within the ASEAN, but has been barred from high-level meetings over the political crisis in the country. The two-day meeting will be followed by an ASEAN Plus three ministerial meeting with Japan, South Korea, and China on Thursday. And in the meantime, on the Friday this week, there will be an East Asia Summit Foreign Ministers meeting, which will include both Beijing and Washington. So joining us now on the line is Herman Lauro, founder of the think tank Philippine BRICS Strategic Studies Group. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So since its um founding, the ASEAN has been held together by principles of say non-interference in each other's、um, domestic political affairs, as well as a consensus-based decision making. Now, some people say these principles are being tested by the Myanmar crisis because there is a perceived、um, disunity or division among different member states regarding this issue.、Uh, for example, some media outlets in the West、uh, have already reported that a draft of a post-meeting communique to be issued by by the ASEAN foreign ministers. Still remain blank in terms of、uh, its wording on Myanmar, and this is reflecting,、uh, according to these、uh, media outlets in the West, this is reflecting the difficulty of reaching any agreement or consensus on the Myanmar issue. So, what is your observation, Herman? I'm very happy that you raised this issue at the start of the uh, ministers' uh, meeting, uh, and uh, it is very important and very critical. It indeed what、uh, ASEAN has been doing to Myanmar indeed is a violation of the principle of non-interference amongst、um, member countries of the ASEAN.、Uh, this is a purely internal matter of Myanmar. It's a political issue within Myanmar, and、uh, it's important also to mention, unfortunately, that the Western powers are interested、uh, in this uh, uh, chaos and division in Myanmar and wants to ventilate it through、uh, the ASEAN discussions on the matter. So I think it's very appropriate for people to say that、uh, this is not just being tested, this principle of non-interference, but being violated by ASEAN,、uh, and uh, which is inex- inexplicable because uh, uh, our ASEAN uh, leaders uh, should know better. Uh, Indonesia, of course, is the chair right now, and I hope、uh, they will、uh, be enlightened on this matter. And、uh, I, I'm hoping that those who are listening in Indonesia can share our views with their leadership there,、mm. uh, because uh, what is happening in Myanmar and inside Myanmar stays in Myanmar. It's not going to overflow to、uh, the neighboring states. It's not going to affect ASEAN. It's a determination they have to do themselves as、uh, Myanmarese to.、Um, To determine the future of their government,、mm-hmm. what、uh, ASEAN is missing, although I think it's also part of the agenda, but the publicity of, on the ASEAN meeting is not being directed towards this question of the uh, Philippines um, uh, becoming a danger to ASEAN by its、uh, alignment with the、uh, aggression of the United States of America and the Western powers. As we all know, NATO is also intending to move its.、Uh, Uh, aggressive uh, intentions to to the region by、uh, opening an office in Japan.、Hmm. Uh, these are the real issues that will change and impact on the character of、uh, Asia and ASEAN.、Hmm. This is also very dangerous because this is all about geopolitical、uh, 
yeah. uh, expansion of uh, NATO operations. Why are they not really giving emphasis on this? Although yeah. I'm aware that uh, the uh, Southeast Asian nuclear free weapon, nuclear weapons free uh, treaty would be discussed uh, among other issues and. I think uh, it should also be mentioned that the um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, other yeah. treaty among ASEAN, the uh, Neutrality Treaty, which I, I will remember the acronym a little later on, should also be highlighted because, again, the Philippines' position on this alignment with the United States is endangering the entire ASEAN. Yeah, of course, when we talk about NATO's uh, Asian expansion, that's another issue that worth hours upon hours of discussion. But, you know, regarding the situation in Myanmar, do you think it will become a long-standing issue facing ASEAN, similar to the South China Sea disputes? And, uh, by the way, overall... Do you think the Myanmar issue will stand in the way of ASEAN countries seeking closer, you know, regional cooperation and regional integration? Oh, well, if they insist on making this, prior- this a priority, then it will become a problem. Uh, if they wish to discuss it, uh, they should have Myanmar attending the ASEAN meeting and not uh, being isolated. Because uh, whatever other countries say, Myanmar's ruling government is still the one that should be accepted and recognized. Yeah. So uh, the South uh, China Sea issue, of course, is there. It's been long-standing, but it is not a major issue anymore because I think it has been handled very well the past uh, ten decade uh, or more than a decade, uh, and the uh, plans for the code of conduct uh, is there. Uh, Everything is being settled through dialogue and discussion. It is again the West and its Western media, uh, including some of, influencing some of the ASEAN members too, uh, that is uh, cooking up all this uh, uh, turbulence in, in, in on this matter. Hmm. Okay. So Herman, you said uh, the disputes in the South China Sea is not is no longer the major issue. Some people might agree with you, but certainly there are other opinions because. Given the fact that both China and the U.S. will participate in 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 Friday's、uh, East Asia Summit Foreign Ministers Meeting, now regarding this, Daniel Creighton Brink, who is the top American diplomat for East Asia, suggested to U.S. media last week that this meeting on Friday. Will see Washington and ASEAN members seek to push back on Beijing's actions in the South China Sea. "Quote unquote." Here,、uh, what is your thought on this? His rhetoric here seems to be suggesting that the U.S. and ASEAN countries are pretty much united in this regard. Is that really the case? Well, of course, I think we all understand here in the sand that that is not the case. In fact,、uh, one can only count.、Uh, To、uh, the maximum uh, uh, that may have some、uh, pushback、uh, on this issue、uh, on, with China, and that is of course the Philippines and Vietnam. That Vietnam has been muted lately because of the greater interest of Vietnam in, in the trade with China, which is its、uh, biggest trading partner, and it is benefiting tremendously from that. Yeah, it is.、Uh, Problem is the Philippines because of the sudden, unexplained, inexplicable, and uh, uh, bet- uh, betrayal of the Marcos government today here,、uh, which was very sudden and unexplained up to now, unjustified in February of this year, of turning its back on the independent foreign policy and openly aligning,、uh, openly parroting the uh, the. Uh, uh, Verbal aggression of the United States of America. So these are, I think,、uh, what ASEAN should be discussing among its members, among with the Philippines, and ask the Philippines, why are you doing this?、Uh, this is opening、uh, American bases in a country in ASEAN, which threatens、uh, regional peace.、Uh, and uh, I think uh, the other ASEAN countries are too polite.、Uh, but this is a matter of.、Um, The security, peace,、uh, prosperity, economy of, of our region.、Hmm. This is the priority, not the issue of Myanmar or these other、okay. uh, issues.、Yeah. Uh, economics is doing very well, I think,、uh, with、uh, China and ASEAN in general. So, so we have to reorder some of the priorities of ASEAN.
Hmm. So we will see what will come out of the meeting. But thank you very much. That's、uh, Herman Lauro, founder of the think tank Philippine BRICS Strategic Studies Group. Thank you very much for joining us. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back. Chinese tech giant Huawei launched a new AI model called Pangu 3.0 during the Huawei Developer Conference. This is marking a fresh update regarding Huawei's self-developed large language model amid a global frenzy following the ChatGPT rush. Large language models are the technology that underpins chatbots. Chinese companies have invested heavily in terms of AI development software following the release of OpenAI's ChatGPT. So, what's the latest development of large language models here in China, and what's the market potential for it? Now, for more, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Andy Mock, a tech analyst and a, and a senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. So, Andy, Huawei has unveiled its new AI model, Pangu 3.0, and Huawei said its AI takes a different approach from many AI applications. Rather than focusing on generating content, its Pangu 3.0 model would mostly serve industrial usage. So, could you tell us more about it? Why is large language models an important technology, and what can it do? Well, that's a really good question, Zhaoyang. So, in the world of artificial intelligence,、um, natural language processing is considered one of the most difficult challenges to solve. And I think this is why LLMs, large language models,、uh, have gotten so much attention and have so many people using them, because the ability to create useful output. In language is not only very valuable, but again, a very, very difficult、uh, challenge. So the fact that this has been largely solved、uh, is a very important breakthrough. That being said,、um, we also should be careful here to clearly distinguish between applications and technologies. So, generally speaking. Um, we can call this kind of artificial intelligence GAI, generative artificial intelligence, meaning AI that can create new things, whether that's poems, whether that's a market research report, whether that's a foreign policy recommendation、uh, in terms of text,、uh, whether it's a photo, a video,、uh, different sounds. It's creating something new. Uh, which is different from previous AI applications that、uh, might analyze data and make predictions.、Mm-hmm. So it's important to, to distinguish there. Now the applications. So what Huawei, of course, is focused on is more enterprise applications versus consumer-facing applications.、Um, and just very briefly,、uh, I know you have other questions for me. The other very very important point to make about Huawei's approach is that it is. Holistic, strategic, and synergistic, meaning that it is not just、uh, an AI or a suite of AI models targeting enterprise applications, but it actually sits within an overall architecture of which、uh, a portfolio of AI models is only one part. And specifically, how will this Pangu 3.0 reshape various、uh, industries? Could you give us some examples? You know, this is、uh, really hard to underestimate the potential impact. So, you know, one thing that Huawei、uh, has publicized is weather forecasting, and the ability to make weather forecasts much more quickly and more accurately, of course, can be very valuable. Um, another application we think about an industry-specific application. If we look at finance,、uh, mm. say stock market investing, which we all know is very risky, because、uh, for various reasons. But one of the reasons is that we might have incomplete information, draw improper conclusions, or be influenced by emotions such as fear and greed. So an AI. Uh, presumably,、uh, would have none of those problems, at least theoretically. So, 
enormous amounts of money could be made in the stock market. And we can think about all kinds of other applications in between. Um, another very exciting one, I think, uh, is in the field of medical research. So uh, think about the ability to research, discover, create new drugs. Mm. Um, and again, the bottleneck has been uh, human effort. It takes a lot of time and energy to test new chemical compounds. And if an AI could do this much more quickly, much more accurately, this could be transformational. So again, it's really hard to underestimate uh, the impact that these types of enterprise-facing AI applications could have. Mm. And so, Andy, why does Huawei want to have its own self-developed uh, large language models? How important is that? Well, I think it's important from two main perspectives. So from a business perspective, of course, if you have your own technology, your own products, your own distribution, your own sales, your own support, uh, typically that's called being vertically integrated. Uh, that means, of course, you can be much more profitable. But it also means you can probably deliver uh, much higher quality products and services uh, more efficiently. So there's a very good business reason for that. There's also an unfortunate geopolitical reason for this. Um, so there's always a trade-off between make versus buy. Now, if you rely on suppliers around the world, um, of course, that can be more efficient in some ways. But the problem is politics. And we know that the U.S. Uh, in the last few years in particular has launched a series of increasingly escalatory, escalatory attacks against China and Chinese companies like Huawei, uh, which of course forces them to develop uh, their own technologies, their own other critical resources. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have to do it all themselves, but certainly they uh, need to avoid um, these adversaries like the United States that's looking to undermine their growth and their perhaps even their very survival. Mm. And some say the GPT craze is the latest frontier of the technology competition between the U.S. and China. So, Andy, what's your thoughts? Well, I think it's certainly the most visible one. Um, but uh, again, generative AI, depending on how it's applied, uh, could be very strategic. Um, you know, of course, it helps us write poems, can write better uh, school papers, etc. But it can also be used for military applications. It can be used for industrial applications. It's what's called a GPT or general purpose technology like electricity, which again can be used to light homes. It can be used to power weapons factories. Uh, it can, of course, be used to power weapons themselves. So uh, yeah, I think we have to see uh, it is important, but also we need to recognize there's many other technologies in which the U.S. feels it must compete and even try to stop or undermine Chinese advances, whether that's in space exploration, whether that's in life sciences, whether that's in quantum uh, computing. Uh, and another area that doesn't get enough attention, in my view, is the setting of technological standards. Uh, mm. This is another very, very important area. I think that is a uh, uh, an area of competition. Mm. And to restrict China's access to the crucial technology, media reports say the U.S. is also planning to restrict China's access to U.S. cloud computing services. So what will be the impacts of that? Well, you know, again, this is these are important questions, and I think no one really knows the answer. Uh, but if history proves any guide, you know, I think these efforts will ultimately backfire. Um, historically, uh, those that have tried to uh, stop technology diffusion uh, have, has not worked. Now, in the case of China in particular, um, I think China has a number of obvious strengths as well as a number of hidden strengths when it comes to technology development. China has uh, delivered some really stunning breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. So uh, no one knows what will happen, but I think certainly – uh, again, if history serves as any guide, these types of measures will ultimately backfire and fail. And talking about ChatGPT, how do you think the ChatGPT or generative AI should be regulated? What kind of social or ethical issues do we need to consider? Well, that's another very interesting and complex question. And I think there is a range of views on this. Um, one is that, of course, uh, it should be regulated at the source, meaning that 
Uh, there need to be laws, regulations, policies in place that either prevent um, undesirable information from being created, and if that doesn't work, from being widely disseminated. Of course, another philosophical approach to regulation is empowering consumers, whether that's uh, individuals, businesses, governments, so that they can more readily identify uh, and take appropriate measures against undesirable information. And I think where we will end up, most of the discussion is around the former, uh, meaning regulating the creation and dissemination of information. But I think ultimately we will reach a point where uh, a more complete set of regulations will cover both parts. Tech analyst Andy Mock talking to my colleague Zhao Yang. You are listening to World Today. Stay with us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. China's cyberspace regulator has mulled 13 new rules to strengthen the management of self-media. Self-media refers to accounts that publish news and information, but are not run by institutional media outlets in the country. The new guidelines are vowing to regulate the sources of information regarding domestic and international current affairs, public policies, and social events. The rules require online platforms to take timely action to monitor and suspend user accounts that spread false information or weigh in on hot button issues in a harmful manner. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Edward Lehman, Managing Director of Lehman Lee and Shi Law Firm. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Ding Hong. It's a pleasure to be here. So, do you think、um, these、um, these latest rules we are talking about here are a necessary step? You know, absolutely, Ding Hong. I believe that these latest rules are a necessary step in the current digital landscape. I mean, the regulation of self media, like you said. Refers to accounts that publish news and information, but、um, they're not run by institutional media outlets. So it's crucial to ensure accuracy and reliability of information. I mean, that's always what news is all about. With the growing influence of online platforms and the rapid spread of information, it's really vital to establish regulations that promote responsible behavior and address the spread of false information and harmful content. I think that these new rules、uh, to regulate the sources of information regarding domestic and international current affairs, public policies, and social events, ultimately contributing to a more informed society and protecting individuals from negative consequences and false information. Hmm. So yeah, actually, a debate has been going on not only here in China but、uh, across the world for quite some time regarding who bears what responsibility in terms of. Uh, you know, cracking down on the spread of、uh, false information—is it、uh, the entirely the responsibility of government authorities, or do those online platforms bear some responsibility as well? So, do you think、um, these new rules、uh, we are talking about offer a clearer guidance in this regard? You know, I think it's a complex issue, and I believe that both governmental authorities and online platforms. Bear responsibility in combating the spread of false information for sure. The governments, like in the passing of these new rules, play a crucial role in setting regulations and legal frameworks that define the boundaries of acceptable content. So, whether it's in China or whether with these new rules, or whether it's in the United States or other places, I mean, folks have a responsibility to ensure the accuracy of information. I mean, the society does to protect the interests of the public.、Um, You know, there's a lot of smart folks out there, but there's not, not so smart folks as well, and they may need to be protected. At the same time, online platforms they do have a responsibility to monitor and to manage the content of those shared platforms. We've seen that with、uh, Elon Musk and the changes that he's brought on, and、mm-hmm. the criticism by the pundits there. I mean, they, these online platforms, you know, should take necessary actions to prevent the spread of false information or harmful content. And like I said, with Elon Musk. They're saying that because he cut down on the staff, that there's been content that's not been positive. Whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, I don't know. But I think that China taking these steps, which includes suspending and removing accounts, like you talked about, 
that violate guidelines or engage in malicious activities, that mm-hmm. that needs to be out there. There need to be guardrails so that these new rules can provide guidance by requiring them to take timely action and monitoring mm-hmm. and suspending user accounts, yeah. which they did at the end of May. There were a great deal that were suspended. Okay. Um, yeah. So, by the way, Dr. Lehman, do you think it is a legitimate concern that these rules will somehow curtail or even kill the creativity of those online influencers? You know, it's a valid concern, but I believe the harmful content, rather than、uh, I believe in、uh, mm. you know false information or harmful content, rather than stifling creativity, is the, is、uh, the role of these new guidelines. I mean, it's crucial. To differentiate between the genuine creativity and responsible online influence from activities that involving spru-、uh, false information or engaging in harmful behavior, I mean these rules aim at creating a safer digital environment by monitoring and suspending user accounts that spread false information or weigh in on hot button issues in a harmful manner. So as long as these online influencers,、um, you know,、mm-hmm. ma- maintain their integrity. Then I don't think we're going to have a problem. Okay, maintaining integrity is the key. Now, the last question before we let you go. Of course, I mean, fighting disinformation is arguably a a universal challenge today. Now, compared to the practices and the, the approaches in the West, how would you comment on on the approaches taken by the Chinese government? Yeah.、Uh, Like you said, I mean this is a universal challenge. China does everything its own way. China's approach, I think, focuses on regulatory measures to ensure the accuracy and reliability of information, particularly on、um, different hot button button issues that are going on. So China's efforts to regulate self media and online platforms aim to maintain what I think is social harmony and protect individual rights and pre- prevent small、uh, the spread of false information and harmful content. While the approach may not、uh, may involve stricter regulations and control of online activities, it reflects the government's commitment to ensuring a reliable and trustworthy information base for its netizens. And so, I think that this is a Chinese approach for sure. And it'll, you know, there's going to be pundits and critics that'll be out there. But I think that this is the beginning, and, and it'll be filled in、uh, over the course of time as to how it's going to work. So it's important to note. That approaches to fighting disinformation may differ across different countries and regions, influenced by cultural, legal, and political factors. But each approach should be assessed in the context of its effectiveness, its transparency, and respect for fundamental rights, including its freedom of、uh, expression and access to information. So、mm. I think that China is doing that with、uh, with these rules, and you know, we'll have a look, see it how they how they are. One thing about China. Is it's good about setting up the rules, policies,、mm. and regulations, but also changing them if they have to. Yeah. So Chinese policies are flexible as well. Your points well taken. That was Dr. Edward Lehman, managing director of Lehman Lee and Shi Law Firm. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. I'm Ding Hanin Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.